Revival is one of the most important parts of the Christian life. What can we do to ensure we have godly revival in our lives? In this message, learn from God's Word as Kenyon Ridge prepares for its 20th anniversary revival. Bible, 2 Chronicles 34, 2 Chronicles 34, if I didn't say that already. And uh, then when we're done, when I'm done speaking or preaching, we will um, pray. Uh, Zane will lead that. By the way, if you weren't in the 8.30 service, which is fine, normal people probably shouldn't be. Um, I mean, it's great, but some of you are like, oh, I'm an early riser, which means to me, you need prayer. Um, but where is Garza at anyway? There he is. He did a stellar job uh, on the announcements. I was super proud of him. He did great. Um, especially considering how he started a couple of months ago. And he just did absolutely fantastic. Did great at the 1030, but 830 he messed up. And you, you wouldn't have known he messed up. He just kind of rolled with it. It was, it was fantastic. Anyway, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 34, verse number 1. The Bible says Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And when, I'm sorry. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. And he cut down, rather, he cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and stowed it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priest upon their altars and cleansed Judah in Jerusalem. And so did he in the city of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. Now, this is one of the 10, 11 major revivals that are talked about in the Old Testament. Um, and I want to give you some background. I want to give you some application. And then we're going to just speak for a little bit. And then we'll have a time of prayer and worship. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. I want you to think of that for a minute. An eight-year-old king. Those of you that have had kids at eight years old, imagine them being the king. You say, well, he had people, he had advisors, but they still considered him to be the king. We have some kids in our church that are eight years old. I love them to death. I wouldn't want them being in charge of a nation. That would, that would be a, a troubling thing, if you will, if they were in charge of a nation. But Josiah, his dad was a man named Manasseh. Manasseh had one of the greatest, if you will, fathers in all the Bible, a guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah led a great revival in Judah, in, in, the, in, in Judah. and Manasseh, his son, reigned for 55 years and Manasseh led a great economic recovery for Judah after the invasion of Sennacherib, and if you care, in 701 BC. And he led during a time of peace, 
But he was the most corrupt religious leader and practiced grave social injustice in the nation of Israel. Manasseh reinstituted the practices that his his father Hezekiah had done away with. He ruled in this peace and stability, but the peace, stability, and economic process that he had brought about a terrible sense of religious idolatry. 2 Kings chapter 24 or 21 verses 4 to 16 represents Manasseh as the worst of all the kings of Judah. The worst. When you're the worst of many, you're bad. And he was the worst of many. Jeremiah chapter 15 verse number 4 places on him the responsibility for the doom proclaimed against Jerusalem. In the account of Josiah's reform, Manasseh is is singled out as having provoked God's anger and judgment. I mean, he was an evil man. I want you to look with me because we're going to a point here that is of tremendous relevance for us. I want you to look at verse number one of chapter 33, just a page over from where you were. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years, or 55 years, in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abomination of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So God cast people out, listen to me, and he's mimicking the people God cast out. Now, I don't mean to be rude, but that's, a, that, that's an unwise idea. Matter of fact, that's a stupid idea. God destroyed them, but I'm going to do what they were doing. Verse number three. He built among the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of, heavens, of heaven and served them. When it says worshipped all the hosts of heaven, it doesn't mean like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or the Trinity. It doesn't mean any of that. It means the gods of the stars. What, what might be called the heavenly beings. What today would be called like the Greek gods. Just trying to help you to understand the, the concept that is here. He's worshiping, he's become, we might say it this way, he's become an astrologer. He's worshiping the stars and the planets. He's worshiping the host of heaven. He's serving them. Verse number four, that's not all he's doing. He built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. So he's not just worshiping the the false gods of the heaven. He's actually taking altars to false gods and he's putting them in the house of God, in the temple of God. This is a vile dude. It would be like this. If somebody comes into Canyon Ridge and puts up a statue to Mary and people come in service on Sunday morning and start praying to, to Mary or start praying to a saint that somebody has put up here, God forbid that would ever happen. I'll tell you this, and I mean this with all the kindness in my heart, that won't happen on my watch. Maybe on Zane's, but not mine. I'm kidding about that. But that's what he did. He built altars in the house of the Lord, where the Lord said in Jerusalem, verse number four, shall my name be forever. Verse number five, he built altars for all the hosts of heaven, 
in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So every God that he worshiped in heaven, he built them in the court of the Jews, probably in the court of women that were in the court of the temple, possibly the court of the Gentiles. In other words, whenever a Jew would walk into the temple, they weren't confronted with the holiness of God. They were confronted with these idolatrous things, these idolatrous statues, figures that were in front of them, and they were expected to be worshipped in the house of God. There was no respite for the people of Israel or the people of God from idolatry that Manasseh brought into the world. Verse number six, and he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the sons of Himmon. In other words, his wives would have kids and, and they would throw them in the fire and offer them as a sacrifice to a false god. Now, some of you have, have lost children before, miscarriage, or they've been birthed and died, and, and that's a heartbreak to you. This guy is having children and throwing them in the fire as an act of worship. And he's leading the nation of Israel to do the same thing. In verse number six, he also observed times, used enchantments, used witchcraft, dealt with familiar spirits. You say, what does that mean? It means he played dungeons and dragons. I'm just saying he played dungeons and dragons. So you say, well, there's a Christian version. No, there's a hellish version and a hellish version. He played Dungeons and Dragons with wizards like Harry Potter. I don't, <laughs> I'm glad my dad's here tonight. I don't feel alone. If it turns into a fight, though, Dad, just stay there. I'll, I got it. I can run faster without you than with you. It won't. I'm being silly. I'm just saying. Oh, I don't think it's that big a deal. I'm not trying to be pushy here. I'm just saying, come on. That's what he's talking about. With wizards, he wrought much evil in the sight of God to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, verse number seven. The idol which he made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. You say, well, it's like God already said that. Yeah, remember when a Hebrew writer writes with redundancy that the Hebrew writer is trying to draw specific emphasis to the point. It's not that he's looking for a new way to say it. It's not like he's looking for a new way to communicate it. He's trying to draw emphasis to this point. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, uh, the author of 2 Chronicles is helping us to understand that Manasseh was an idolater, idolater, idolater. He used witchcraft and familiar spirits. He wrought, wrought much evil. He provoked God to anger. In verse number 8, Neither will I anymore remove my foot, from Israel, for out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they which take heed to all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen. To do worse than the heathen. 
So there were heathen. And by heathen, here's what it means. People who didn't have the law of God at all. They never had the word of God. They didn't understand the word of God because it had not been communicated to them. And Manasseh led Judah the, 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 and Benjamin, or, or I'm sorry, Judah and Jerusalem to do worse than the heathen whom God had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. That's Manasseh. That's the family Josiah grew up in. I just want you to understand, Manasseh was a crummy dude. On every level. As a father, throwing his kids into the fire. As a leader of a nation, making horrible decisions for the nation. Though they had economic prosperity and peace, he still led them to a place of grave destruction. By the way, just as an aside, economic prosperity and peace is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing on a people. It's not, and I've, I mean, we got an election coming. I'm not preaching about it, but we got an election coming. And it seems like a lot of Christians are like, well, I'd take some really bad tweets right now so that we could have lower gas prices and a better economy. Listen, I like lower gas prices. I did. I was in Arizona, paid like four eighty nine a gallon. I just started drinking the stuff. <laughs> Debbie had to put away her cigarettes the whole ride home. If you're a guest, my wife's name is Debbie. I'm teasing. She didn't put them away. Um, but, but economic prosperity and peace is not necessarily a sign of the blessing of God on a people. It can be. But it wasn't here. And so I want to say a couple things about revival. Then I'll preach a short message and... Then we'll move on. I want to say this. We live in a wicked world. As a matter of fact, I, I, I lose sleep at night praying for those of you that have kids. Because our world is so wicked. At every turn, it seems like I'm learning something new that is going on in the world that you as a parent have to care for. I will say that you're to give thanks for that. First Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The Holy Spirit of God will enable you to accomplish what he has called you to accomplish. There's no doubt about that in my heart, in my mind. God is capable of doing great things. But we live in a wicked world, not dissimilar from what Manasseh has done. We sacrifice children on the altar of our lust for money and sexual freedom, it's called abortion. We have no problem, not we, but I'm talking as a land, we have little problem with that. There doesn't seem to be uh, a big cry for that. As a matter of fact, our media makes you sound like draconian if you think that life begins at conception, which the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. We live in a wicked world. So I'm going to say a couple of things. Some might be controversial, some might not. I don't like to be controversial. I used to, but not anymore. I'm going to say this. We have revival coming. I personally do not believe that the United States of America will have a national revival. It's not that I think it's beyond the reach of God. I don't believe anything is beyond the reach of God. 
If you really study revival, we've never really had a national revival. We had a first great awakening, and I've studied that greatly, and a second great awakening, and I've studied that greatly. But they were never really national, number one. Number two, I believe we're at the end of days and the end of time. When, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12, says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I believe with all of my heart that it's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You say, Pastor, or are you being pessimistic? I'm really not trying to be. I just don't believe that we're going to have a, a national revival where, you know, I mean, we're... <laughs> seeing, you know, the Bible read on CNN anytime soon. In order for events to play out the way Scripture alludes, the power of the United States has to diminish, and what has made America great is America's closeness with God, and I just don't see that happening again. If you think that, praise the Lord, please don't argue with me about it. You're entitled to your opinion. I believe that with all of my heart. I just don't think that that's going to happen. But I do believe this. We can have local revival. Meaning our church can and should be on fire for the Lord, praying, worshiping, growing, and seeing other people saved. It was G. Campbell Morgan who once said, Revival cannot be organized, but we can set the sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon His people once again. I believe that. I believe Canyon Ridge Baptist Church can have revival. I love our church. I love the fire that we have. I love the excitement that we have. I, I love the joy that we have. But, but can I tell you, I don't think we're in a state of, of being revived. I think we, it, it's a constant thing that we have to, or a constant entity we have to strive for, for closeness, submission, and surrender to the Lord. And I believe that we can have, San Diego can have a revival, and San Diego can be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a wonderful and amazing way. I believe that with all of my heart. I know this without any hesitation, that you can have personal revival in your heart and life. I don't think we'll have it nationally. I believe we can have it locally, but I know without a doubt that you and I can have it in our hearts and lives. Revival is not a week's worth of meetings. You can't schedule it. Some people said, we're going to have revival. Matter of fact, I don't even like calling it revival. And I really don't know even why I did. Because it's like, we scheduled revival. No, revival isn't a one or two day thing. It's not controlled by man. Revival is a heart thing. It's always brought about by repentance. And it's a renewed zeal to obey God. Somebody once said, how'd the revival go? And my common answer is... I don't know, ask me in six months. Because in six months, that's when the story will be told. It's not going to be told Wednesday night. Oh, Pastor Chadwick led us in revival. Well, he's not a pastor anymore, so don't even listen. Um, I'm teasing. Um, he, you know, revival happened. Revival doesn't break out in a night. Revival breaks out in the hearts and lives of people over time in the continuum of surrender and submission to the Lord over and over and over again. And we see Josiah, this young man in 2 Chronicles 34, who is leading a revival. I want you to notice in verse number 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God 
of David, his father. 16 years old, number one, Josiah sought the Lord. Josiah sought the Lord. The word seek means to inquire, to examine. It carries with it the idea of looking for property or looking for lost cattle. Or to study in the law of God for a truth. And in that culture, to look for lost cattle. Your, your cow, your, your, your sheep, they, they were of tremendous value and tremendous importance. And you would go everywhere looking over everything to find that which is lost. And according to the scripture, when Josiah was 16 years old, that's how he's seeking after the Lord. He becomes king at eight, eighth year of his reign. He seeks after the Lord. While he's yet young. And it's a personal choice. He's the king. No one made him do it. He had witnessed all the world had to offer. All the parties. All the entertainment. Anything he wanted was available to him. Just like his father. He was the king. And he chose to seek the Lord. As opposed to follow the pleasure of sin for a season as a 16 year old. Who had everything available to him. And great economic wealth. And he could buy anything that he wanted at any time. And have anyone and anything that he wanted at any time. He pushed back from all of that. And he said this. I want to know what God has for me. It was a personal choice. Young people, let me tell you something. If you're a teenager here at Canyon Ridge tonight, nobody can make you serve Jesus. It's a personal choice. Well, my parents can make me go to church. Right, they can make you go to church, but they can't make you serve Jesus. They can't make you seek the Lord. They can't make you pursue God. That's a thing, that, that's, a, that's a desire that comes from within your heart. It's a personal choice to seek after God. Josiah made the personal choice to seek after God. There's a lot of things we can, people can make you do. They can make you pay taxes. They can make you drive the speed limit. Some of you are like, they don't make me. All right. Tell me where you live. I got a ride along schedule. We'll wait. <laughs> Cops are like, Chaplain, we don't like to give tickets. I'm like, they go to our church. Please give them one. <laughs> That's why Bernie has three tickets. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Bernie, he drives like an old lady. He got a ticket for driving too slow on the freeway once. <laughs> I'm kidding. People can make you work extra hours. People can make you wear a uniform, but they can't make you serve God. It's a personal choice. It's a pragmatic choice. The word pragmatic is often used in the negative, but pragmatic simply means this, dealing with things sensibly and realistically in a way that is based on practical rather than theoretical consideration. Josiah had seen what living for Satan would do to a person. He saw the sins of his father when his father's throwing his siblings. Josiah's siblings are being thrown into the fire. He's hearing stories about all that his father had done. And he understood, it seems as though in the context, he understood something. That the direction my dad went will only lead to suffering. I'm choosing to follow the God of Israel as opposed to the pleasure of the present. 
because the pleasure of the present will lead to an eternal destruction, but the God of Israel will lead to life and life everlasting. And I'm making the pragmatic choice to live not for this world, but for the world to come. And it makes a lot more sense to be concerned about eternity than it does to be concerned only about today. So I turn my back on today and the pleasures of sin for a season. And I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God to enjoy the pleasure of God for all of eternity. Let me just say it this way. It is extremely wise for you to follow God and reject the world. It lasts much longer for you to follow God and reject the world than it does for you to try to dabble in both and be a Christian on Sunday and in the world on Monday, a Christian on Tuesday. No, no, no. Just follow Christ. It's the right decision to make. And it's the best decision to make. You say, well, of course you say that. You're a preacher. No, I'm just saying, long range, it's the best decision to make. I read a stat yesterday that said people who pray together who are married who get divorced less than 1% of the time. It's just the right, wise decision to do. Look at verse number 3, chapter 4. 34, I'm sorry. And began to seek after the Lord his Father, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. King at eight, personal revival at sixteen, studies the word for four years, and at twenty years old, he begins to act. It was a patient choice. For four years he sought the Lord on the matter. As a king, his reforms didn't happen for four years. He didn't act on everything he studied. He waited for God to cultivate that in his heart. Let me tell you, I think Canyon Ridge is ready for revival. I think we've been waiting long enough for revival. I think there needs to be some personal revival in our heart. And some folks are kind of waiting. I'm just telling you, we've been patient. But now it's time to act. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 31 says, uh, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Uh, Psalm 27, 17. Wait on the Lord, or 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We've waited. It's time for revival. It's time for a renewed passion for God. It's time for a renewed desire for God. It's time to examine our own hearts and say, God, where is my heart? There's the heart of Manasseh. There's the heart of Josiah. Where's the heart of Chris Chadwick? That's why the psalmist was able to say in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Josiah sought the Lord. Verse number three, verse 34, a lot in this verse. And he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. Number two, Josiah sanitized the land. Now, I want to apologize to you as you see that point. Because you'll notice that the point has the same first letter in every word as the first point. 
In other words, the sermon is alliterated. And what we know without a doubt is good preachers don't alliterate messages. And you only alliterate a message because you have no content. And so I just want to apologize to you. I think this point has content, but it just kind of set. And I really tried to change it up, but I felt like I was abusing the Lord. So for those who are weak and beggarly among us, I went ahead with the alliteration. If you're a guest here, Bernie alliterates everything, everything. His music schedule's alliterated. <laughs> but Josiah sought the Lord. Josiah sanitized the land. He, he cleansed the land. He purged the land. It was a comprehensive cleansing. Look at verse number three again. To purge the land of Judah from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. The carved images were those that were carved out of wood or stone. The molten images that were those that were made with a cast that had hot metal poured into the image. And he took all of those and he got rid of them. If you turn over quickly to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse number 4, we won't read all of this because of the sake of time. But it says this, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for the host of heaven and burned them without Jerusalem or outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places and the cities of Judah and the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the host of heaven. And he brought out of the groves from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder uh, thereof unto the graves of the children of the people. And he brake down the house of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the woman wove hangings for the grove. And he brought all the priests out of the city of Jerusalem and defiled the, that uh, all the priests uh, out of the cities of Judah rather and defiled the high places where the priest had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and brake down the high places of the gates that were at the entering into the gate of Joshua. Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. And, and it goes on and he talks about how the fact that Josiah didn't leave anything to chance. He, he cleaned out the city. He cleaned out the nation. He cleaned it of the false gods. He cleaned it of the false prophets. He cleaned it of the false people. Now, no doubt we could continue reading in 2 Kings that not everybody was excited about this. And some people kept serving false gods. But Josiah was doing a work to make sure that the cleansing was comprehensive. Real revival won't happen if you hold on to known sin in your life. Real revival won't happen if you don't seek the Lord and ask Him to reveal sin in your life. The Bible says in Mark chapter 7, verse number 21, for from within, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. From within. 
Revival is supposed to deal with the heart. There might be some secret sin in your life. You, you might leave here. People might be leaving church smoking weed. People might be leaving church getting lit up and laid. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I'm concerned about as a pastor. I'm concerned about the sins of the heart that nobody really can put their finger on. I'm worried about bitterness. You say, what's bitterness? Bitterness is being ticked off at somebody and not knowing why. And not knowing how to resolve it. I'm so mad at them. Why? Well, because of this. Okay, how do you want there to be resolution? I don't know. Okay, you're bitter. Some of you are bitter at dead family members. Some of you are bitter at family members that live in the other side of the country or the world and you haven't spoken to them in 15 years. And you're like, I want revival. Well, you can't have it and hold on to bitterness. You, it just can't happen. Why? Because bitterness springs up, and the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it defiles everything. It's like a weed. It springs up, and it ruins everything. Ruins everything. That's not semantical. You deal with bitter, bitter people long enough. Before long, you understand something. I've got several here, so if you're not bitter, wait, we're coming. You deal with bitter people long enough, and you have to start backing away from them. Because no matter what you say, eventually they're going to get their feelings hurt about something. You could be having a great conversation with them and enjoying life. And you, you could say, hey, I like tulips. Well, why do you like tulips? I don't know. They're nice. Well, I hate tulips. Well, you don't have to like tulips. I'm a tulip fan. I'm a big fan of tulips. I like to go tiptoeing through them. I'm a big fan of tulips. And people are like, well, why can't a man? I hate tulips. When I was a kid, I had a dog chase me into a tulip field and he bit my foot in a tulip field and I hate tulips and I just hate tulips. I can't believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you like tulips. Can I stop and tell you something right there? You're a bitter person. Tulips keeping you awake at night. Now I'm being silly to prove a deeper point. It could be a dad that left you when you were a kid. Well, Pastor, do you think it's easy? I'm not saying it's easy for a second. Matter of fact, I'd say it's one of the hardest things you could ever go through in your entire life. Wouldn't want, to, wouldn't want to put ease on that for anything in the world. I'm just simply saying that needs to be dealt with. Bitterness, anger. Some of the most angry people I know go to Baptist churches. Just angry about everything. They find reasons to be angry with stuff. The Bible says be angry and sin not. We're supposed to be angry at sin. But we're not supposed to be angry. Some people in this room tonight live, just live in defeat. You don't understand the grace of God and the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. And you'll walk around. I'm, I'm not, being, I'm not really being rude in my soul. I hope my communication style is proper here. Um, you just walk around kind of all shocks and defeated and, and sad. No, you know, you're, victor, you're victorious. 
Some of you have a tense marriage. I mean, you're married, you're going to stay married. You're not going anywhere in your marriage. I mean, you're committed to one another. But if anybody in the world saw your marriage, they would say, if being a Christian means I have a marriage like that, I'll stay single and sleep around. Because what you have is way worse than being single and in sin. Well, this is, we're just comfortable in our, in our tense marriage and we're, we're just roommates just living our life. Well, that's not what God's called you to. God wants you to have a wonderful, amazing, I'm not preaching a marriage. I'm, I'm just trying to get you to understand. We grew up kind of hearing and thinking and, and hearing revivalistic preaching, which was like, and the drunkard came and gave up drinking and the drug guy came and he gave up drink, uh, drugs and the adulterer came and, and, and they broke up that night, never to see one another again. And everybody cheers. Well, can I tell you what we need to cheer is the bitter person getting victory over bitterness. And then what we learned this morning is coming to the reality that you're going to struggle with bitterness tomorrow. And you've got to get victory then. And bitterness the next day. And you've got to get victory again. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And your marriage, and your attitude, and, and your joylessness, and, and your weak private worship life. Whatever the case may be, it's got to be dealt with over and over and over again. Why? Because it interrupts my relationship with the Lord. That's why it is a comprehensive cleansing. It's not a one-time act. It is a continual act to keep the life clean. Verse number four. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. And the images that were on the high that were on high above them. It was a confirmed cleansing. I love this phrase, Dad. See if you can figure out where I'm going here. They break down the altars of Balaam in Josiah's presence and the images that were on high above them, he cut them down. It was a confirmed cleansing. He wasn't leaving this to chance. He he didn't assign it to a general to make sure. He didn't say, General Lund, or I guess we'd have to say here, Admiral Lund, you go out and you make sure that they've cut down all the high places. Seaman Apprentice Garza. (laughs) Take your axe and cut down the carved images. Let me know that you've done a good job. No, no, no. Here's what happens. I'm going with you. Oh, King, we've got it. No. It's my responsibility. And I'm going to confirm it. I'm making sure this happens. Josiah didn't just ask that it would be made that it would be done. He made sure it would be done. As the spiritual leader of the land, he took the initiative to make sure that the most important thing that was in the land was going to happen, and that was a cleansing of the vile idolatry that was in the land. Husbands, fathers, young single men, You have the joy-filled responsibility to make sure that what is said is actually being done in your family. Well, my kids, they have a phone and they tell me they don't look at anything bad. Please, don't believe them. Young people, it's not that I don't trust you. I just think you're liars. Like me, when I'm caught in sin. You're no different than I would be. 
That's why Miss Debbie has my password. Pastor Bernie has my password. John Scheifus has my password. Thankfully, John doesn't know how to read. So, <laughs> Zane Garza, I think Zane has my password. Fergus Tunnell and Anthony King have my password. Anthony's such a techie guy. He knows everything about me. He does, and you. He actually has a drone flying over us right now. Dad, you have a responsibility to make sure that what is being done is actually being done. That what is being said is actually being said. It's your God-given responsibility. Oh, I, I, Pastor, we have conversations. Wonderful. Don't stop having conversations. But make sure that these things are being taken care of in your home. Make sure, dads, moms, that you are up to date on pop culture and what is being said in the culture because words and songs and ideas and thoughts are had in our culture that you have no idea what they mean. I find myself regularly going to Urban Dictionary to figure out what teenagers are talking about. Praise God, not the teenagers at our church. I'm sure they know. I haven't heard it. I'm just saying, I, I, out in the community, and I'm like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Many of you have an accountability partner. You have disciples that you're discipling. There's a point that I want to make sure the cleansing has to be confirmed. One of the greatest ministry regrets that I have, my wife actually rebuked me two weeks ago for this, is that I'm too nice and I don't help folks always keep a clean life because I value friendship sometimes over spiritual leadership. Revival is about action, not talk. And then the last part, or the second part of verse number four, they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were above them, and he cut down in the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break them in pieces and he made dust of them and stood it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. It was complete. He ground the images into dust And he put them on the graves of those that worship, and he sacrificed the images. And he burnt the bones, verse number five, of the false prophets. You say, what is that? He wanted the whole nation to know they're not going to be dead in peace. It was God's picture of judgment. In verse six and seven, he cleansed the whole nation. If you got caught worshiping a false god in Josiah's time, your life ended prematurely and violently. True cleansing is always a complete cleansing. You can't be halfway clean. True cleansing is a complete cleansing. Let me allow for a little bit of application and we'll be done in about three minutes or more. It's easier to perform externally than to be cleansed internally. It's easier to perform externally than cleansed internally. Let me illustrate it. It's easier to give up beer than bitterness. 
It's easier. You, you say, oh, Pastor, you don't know what it's like to be an alcoholic. I, I don't, praise God, but my dad does. He gave up beer and alcohol, and he hasn't been drunk in like a week. <laughs> or less. I don't remember exact. No, I, over 50 years. Uh, what, 52, 54 years, 55 years, 54 years. Hallelujah for that. 54 years. And being married to my mom would take any man down to the liquor store. I'll tell you that for sure. I'm going to get beat up after service, so you guys pray for me. So now i got to talk about violence, so she'll give that up during the altar call. Sawdust trail. I'm old. It's easier to give up beer. My, my dad's given up beer, but he still struggles with bitterness like everyone else in the room. Not saying anything bad about my dad. You struggle with bitterness too. Just like I do. That's what I'm saying. It's easier to give up beer than bitterness. It's easier to give up weed than covetousness. Oh, pastor, I haven't used drugs in years. Praise God for that. But you're still in debt for stuff that you didn't need that you bought on a credit card that you couldn't afford and you pay interest on stuff that you don't even remember that you have. It's easier... Listen to me. It's easier to not commit adultery than it is to not be arrogant. It's easier to give up stealing than sexual thoughts. Let me just be very candid with you. There hasn't been a bank robbery issue with a church member at Canyon Ridge in a long time. Wait a minute. Anyone rob a bank since we bought this building? Or before? Not a single time. It happens. It happens in some churches. I get it. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying it doesn't happen here. But, but it's easier to give up stealing than it is perverted sexual thoughts. In other words, what I'm trying to convey to you is it's easier to perform externally than to be cleansed internally. See, it's easier to act joyful than to be joyful in the Lord. You can act humble one moment and still feel entitled in your heart the next and be mad that you didn't get what nobody knows you even wanted and you didn't get what you even didn't deserve. It's easier to act spiritual at church than it is humble at home. That's why this text, in my opinion, is so powerful because it deals with a cleansing that goes throughout all the nation. And it's led by a young man who is a passionate pursuer of the Lord. See, revival is work. And it demands that hard decisions be made. About the sin in your life. And hard questions be answered. About your closeness to the Lord. The question has to be answered when it comes to revival. God, is, am, I, am I as close to you as I should be? Are, are you more motivated to go to church so Pastor Chadwick doesn't preach against you missing church? Or are you motivated to go to church because you want to hear from the Lord and corporately worship? 
Now, I hope that you feel a measure of accountability for me as your pastor. It's, my, it's a biblical requirement. But I can tell you that the greatest joy in your life is when you worship and do what God tells you to do because of a passionate love for Him. Revival is work. And it demands hard decisions be made. Josiah was a godly man who led a great revival. I want to see revival But more than revival in our nation, and more than even revival in our city, I want to see revival in your heart and in your life. Father, bless our time in the Word tonight. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.